If you want to have that passage in, in Luke open in front of you, just to double check with uh, what I'm saying is, is found in the Scriptures, that would be really great. And we're looking at this, this woman. They didn't know her name. When everyone spoke about this woman, they always referred to her as, as she or her. And the awkward thing was this. They didn't know what she was doing here. She hadn't received an invitation to this party. And besides, she didn't go to synagogue. She didn't go to worship on, on a Saturday. She didn't memorize the laws of Moses. She certainly didn't keep the laws of Moses. And what interest did she have in hearing what this great teacher, Jesus, had to say. See, in this chapter, we're placed at a dinner party, and it would have been, uh, probably would have been a, a warm Mediterranean evening, and in those days, rich, influential figures would have opened up their homes and hosted meals in the courtyards of their homes. And it was a great privilege and honour to invite those who were teaching or visiting the area. What did they have to say? A great opportunity it would have been to ask them questions and to find out more. There were invited guests, of course. The important people would have sat around the table and enjoyed a good meal. Those that were deemed important enough. But there would have been those who were on the fringes. Those who wouldn't have had a seat at the table but wanted to know more, wanted to hear the conversation, and maybe wanted to have some food if there was any left over at the end of the night. And the unnamed woman was one of these uninvited guests. She uh, stayed in the shadows while the honourable religious people spoke. And she wanted to approach, and yet she knew that if she came any closer, it would cause a huge commotion. And who was the host of this great dinner party? Well, it was someone called Simon. Simon was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a, a large, uh, influential, religious, political group in the New Testament times. And the, the name Pharisee means separated one. Separated one. And the Pharisees separated themselves from society to study and to teach the law. But they also separated themselves from common people, those who were religiously unclean. Now as the host, as we've said before, he would have been expected to do a number of things. Feeding the guests was the bare minimum. He should have greeted Jesus with a kiss when he arrived. He should have washed or arranged for someone to wash Jesus' feet. And he should have anointed him with a fragrant oil so he smelled nice when they were eating. But he didn't do any of these things. Whether he saw himself as, as too important or whether he didn't deem Jesus important enough, we don't know. But as we have said, in today's terms, it's like inviting someone into your home, not taking their coat, not shaking their hand, not saying croissant, not giving them a cup of tea, not giving them a cake. All these 
disgusting things. We don't know what Simon's motivation was for inviting Jesus there in the first place, but it seemed like he didn't want him there. He wasn't being a good host at all. And whereas today, if you invite someone to your home, if you have got a table and chairs, you you invite people to sit around the table and chairs, don't you? And uh, you all eat together. Well, in these days, you had low tables and you had couches around the tables and you would have sat leaning uh, on, your, on one of your arms. I, I guess you would rest on your, on your left arm and then you would pick at the food with your right. And you'd be lying there and your feet would be outstretched and uh, you'd kind of make a, a pretty star shape with all, everyone's feet pointing outwards from the table. And uh, so everyone's feet would be away from the food, which is a, a good thing, I think, isn't it? Uh, because they wouldn't have had anything on their feet. And it's to Jesus' feet that this woman comes. But who was this woman? We don't know her name, but as we've said, she had a bad reputation. The verse calls her, in verse uh, 37, a, a woman of the city. And we would maybe use a similar phrase today, a, a, a lady of the night, we might, we might say. She was most likely someone who sold her body for money. She was not only not religious, but she was also unclean. She was dishonorable in the eyes of the world. And she sees that Jesus' feet are still dirty and dusty from a day of walking through the the hot streets of Galilee, and they have not been washed by the host. And so, while Jesus is reclining, she approaches Let's look at verse 37. What does it say? When she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Let's think about what this meant. This is a woman who has been disregarded, who has been cast out. She's been treated like dirt, but she decides to show her love and her devotion to Jesus. And she's crying. This isn't someone who's welling up. This isn't someone who's got a few tears in the, in the corners of her eyes, maybe. She is sobbing. And we know that because verse 38 tells us that she was able to, to wet his feet with her tears. And why is she crying? Well, these are the tears of someone with a burden of guilt and of shame. We don't know the intricate details of her life, and yet we can assume that she had been caught up in a, in a cycle of, of poverty and abuse, and shame, and hopelessness. And guilt weighs down when you go through something like that. The feeling that you cannot do anything right. The feeling that no matter how good your intentions are, you will never be able to escape that feeling. And we all know what that feels like to a certain degree, don't we? We've all done things that we regret. We've all made decisions in our lives which have seemed like the right thing to do at the time and yet have left us feeling empty and lost. 
but there was someone who could take her out of this spiral. And at the beginning of this chapter, if you look at chapter 7, there, there are two events. We see Jesus heal the servant of an influential Roman centurion. And then immediately after that, we see him raise the dead son of a widow. That's at the beginning of chapter 7. Two uh, very different people in society being affected by the Lord Jesus. But if you look at verse 16 of chapter 7, it says this. Fear seized them all. They were, they were frightened. What is this man capable of? Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, A great prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You see, there was no one in Judea who hadn't at least heard of what Jesus was doing. Many would have witnessed it firsthand. And so Jesus was someone this woman had either met before or had already heard of. She hadn't stumbled across him at this banquet. And we see that in verse 37. It says, when she learned he was reclining at table, she went with an alabaster flask of ointment. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. He was the one who could rescue her from, her, from the life that she had. Uh, she'd been left in the gutter and Jesus was the one who could rescue her. And so she did all that she could do to show her worship. She's saying with her actions, you are worth more than anything else in the world. And as her tears fall onto his feet, she, she realises that the dirt and the dust that have gathered there are coming away with her tears. And not having a towel at hand, uh, she, uh, she uses the, the closest thing that she can get to a towel. She uses her hair. And uh, in those days, the, the hair was, was an, an incredibly um, precious and, and uh, honourable thing for a woman to, to have. So um, you kept it covered, like you do in, in some other Middle Eastern cultures today, and you would not have let your hair down. And yet this woman is willing to do that and to wipe dirt with the most glorious part of her body because of her devotion to the Lord Jesus. And then after that, she pours this fragrant perfume on them. And this perfume would not have been cheap. It wasn't uh, 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 like a, from the bargain bucket of, of savers or something like that. This was, this was something that her life savings would have, would have saved up for. This was um, something that she would have dreamt as a, as a little girl of, of maybe using on her wedding night. This was the most beautiful alabaster ornate jar. And she doesn't use it on herself. She uses it on Jesus. This was an act of worship as a result of what had been done in her life. She was a sinner who had been forgiven. And because she wanted to show how much she loved the Lord Jesus, she falls at the feet of her Saviour. And I want us all to see something really important here. If we're not careful, we could read into this event that the woman was forgiven because of what she had done. She's done this amazing act of, of, of worship. 
therefore Jesus forgives her. That could easily be what we read into this. But you see, the action that she performs came as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit within her. The Holy Spirit had already begun to work in this lady's heart. And yet the reputation she had, the disdain shown to her by other guests, and the label of sinner was still there, even though she'd been transformed already by Jesus. The Pharisees were unwilling to show the uh, respect and see the change that the Lord Jesus had already seen in this woman. They couldn't see that how, how she was worthy, how, how she had the right to be here on this evening. And after she has done this, there are, there are two very different responses by uh, two very different people. So let's look at them in turn. Simon, let's look at Simon to start with. Simon thought that the way to God was to impress him by living a, a decontaminated life, away from the troublemakers, uh, by staying away from the riffraff, by, by only rubbing shoulders with the good people, and by, by keeping all the rules and, and making new rules so that you kept those rules, and making new rules again to stay within those rules. God would surely be impressed. Now, if you'll allow me to make a, a cheeky parallel to today. Now, imagine in this picture that I've conjured up for you that COVID is, is sin. And uh, Simon and his, his friends, the Pharisees, don't want to catch sin, do they? They don't want to catch COVID. So he wears a, a hazmat suit, this, this kind of massive, uh, massive suit. And he wears a full gas mask as well. And then he wears a face mask on top of the, the gas mask. And then he wears a visor on top of that. And then he, he uses hand sanitizer. He goes through two bottles of hand sanitizer a day. And then he only hangs out with people who do exactly the same thing as them. And not only that, they, they stay 10 meters away from everyone else who doesn't keep those rules. Imagine that was how strict he was. But sin is, is not a, a virus which you can avoid by distance. Some of the most uh, depraved and, and ugly things that have ever happened have happened in monasteries and in nunneries where, where people have, have gone away from people. You see, you are born with a sinful heart. Everyone who has been born of Adam and Eve, which we all are included in this building, we have been born wanting to do what we want to do rather than what God wants us to do. And so Simon had completely misunderstood what sin was. He was sinful and yet he was respectable. So he thought it was no big deal. He was rich. He was a man of influence. He could have these fancy dinner parties. He thought this was what would impress God. And therefore, his response to the woman's actions are, are ridicule and disgust. What is she doing here? He thinks, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know this woman's character. He would know this woman was a sinner. He would have nothing to do with her. So here are Simon's conclusions. Since Jesus has accepted this woman, he clearly doesn't know where she's been. And since Jesus doesn't know this woman is a sinner, then surely Jesus is not a prophet. And if he's not a prophet, then 
I can reject him. And everyone else I'm friends with can reject him too. So that's Simon's response. But how does Jesus respond? It's not by, by recoiling or by, by shooing this woman away. He commends her. And he tells a story in order to explain to Simon why he's done so. He paints this picture of a, of a moneylender. And uh, two different people owe him money. There's a moneylender and two different people owe him money. In today's money, um, I worked out, or someone on the internet worked out, is £100,000. One person owes £100,000 and another £5,000. So enough to fill up your car with petrol twice. <laughs> Both big amounts of money, aren't they? They're, they're not figures where you'd, you'd maybe reach into a, a coat pocket you hadn't worn for a while and, and pull that figure out. You would be in desperate need if you were owing that sort of money. But say the money lender was to say, I, I cancel both debts. Both would be really happy, wouldn't they? Both would be really happy if they cancelled the debt. And then Jesus asks Simon a question. Can you work out which one would be happier? The one who'd had a £100,000 debt written off or the one with a £5,000 debt written off? Now Simon clearly knows the answer. He's a well-educated man. And he's been asked in front of a whole crowd of people. And how does he respond? Well, it's the response of someone whose entire worldview has been turned on its head. It's a, it's a very embarrassed, reluctant, and sheepish answer. You can imagine him kicking the floor like, uh, I suppose the, the one who had the, the bigger debt forgiven. And he, he doesn't want to say the answer because he knows what this means because it means that the woman who realizes the depth of her sin has been forgiven and it means that she is willing to, to show a greater amount of appreciation towards Jesus than he is not because she is more guilty but because she realizes the depth of her sin in a way that he has no idea of. She, he has no idea how guilty he is. And she had been troubled by guilt. And guilt is a horrible thing. It eats away, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in Psalm 32, it talks about the physical effect of guilt. It says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night... Your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. When you've sinned, it eats away at you. It, it weighs you down. It, it saps you of energy. And this woman came to Jesus because she knew the depths of her sin. She knew the huge debt that was owed, but she knew that Jesus had dealt with it. The people knew the rumours, they knew the hearsay, they knew her reputation. But she knew that and much more. And yet there was someone at the table who knew it all. And that was Jesus himself. And rather than salvation by, by separation, as, as Simon was living by, it was actually by, by drawing near that Jesus saved. So near, in fact, that he actually took 
her sins upon himself. That's what saved this woman, not by staying far away from her, but by coming near. You see, Jesus came into the world. He was fully God and fully man. And he came not to applaud and to marvel at how wonderfully well-behaved people were at keeping the law. Because even if people like Simon looked as if they were keeping the law, they weren't. And the law hadn't been given for that purpose. It hadn't been given in order for people to show how good they were. It was to show them where they were going wrong and that they needed a saviour. So when Jesus came and he actually did keep the law, he led a completely unique life because he was perfect in every way. It was a life without all the mistakes that we make and all the selfishness and all the cruelty which characterizes our lives. It was perfect. It was literally perfect. But because of his love for the people, he was willing to do something unimaginable. He was ready to die and take upon himself the sins of other people. Every lie, every insult, every affair, every punch, every abuse, every insult, every theft, every, every heartless moment that you can think of. All these things that have offended a perfect God, he was willing to say, I did it. I take responsibility for that. So if we today come to the cross and we say, I know what I've done, I know that I can't save myself, will he take these sins away from me? He will say, of course, I freely forgive. The Bible has some wonderful ways of describing the way that God has forgiven our sins. Here are some of them. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. I will blot out your sins. Or it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a sin that forms some sort of loophole which means that Jesus can't forgive it. it cle he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. They are dealt with once and for all. And look at these final verses. Look at verse 48. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We all long for peace, don't we? We all want to go to sleep at night knowing that we're okay. That we've done enough. That we're loved. And yet, so many of us can't sleep because we're replay, replaying things in our heads that we've said and done. Wishing we could take it back. And uh, wishing we could erase it from... The, the minds of other people that have seen it so that we don't have to live with it anymore. So what we try and do is we try and do good things. We try and help old women across the road. We try and give more money to charity each week. We try to be nice to people. We try to be kind to others. And we try to outweigh the, the bad things that we've done with good things. 
Maybe we've gone to confession booths and we've been told how many Hail Marys we need to do. Maybe we've tried to go on, on pilgrimage to a holy place and visited a temple or a statue. Maybe we've tried to, to numb these, these feelings of regret and of sadness with, with alcohol and drugs and, and money and sex. And they've brought fleeting pleasure, but it doesn't last. So who is able to bring peace? Well, it's only someone who is able to forgive fully. Now, if this week you'd had a bit of a, a crazy week, and this week you'd robbed a bank, say. Yeah, that's... It was, <laughs> you talked to me afterwards, you said, oh, it was a crazy week. You won't believe what happened. Um, but afterwards you felt remorse. And I'm glad you felt remorse. And you've, you've confessed it to me, and you've said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for robbing the bank, I won't do it again, will you forgive me? It's not my place, is it, to say, you're forgiven. I forgive you for that sin. Go in peace. Or um, a more serious example. If, if uh, you have an affair with another person's wife and you confess it to me, once again, I cannot tell you that I forgive you. I have no authority to do that because you haven't wronged me. However, if you steal my car, if you... Um, scrape my car, it's outside, and uh, in fact, let me give you a personal example. The last time I was, I was near my steg, I was in MacArthur Glen, and I scratched someone's car, and it was, it was horrible. Uh, I felt very much Psalm 32 kind of guilt on me, um, and uh, I, I waited for the guy, and I apologized, and we, we did sort it out, but it was for him to say, I forgive you. A random person couldn't have walked past saying, don't worry, I forgive you. I said, thank you. I said, where's your car? He says, it's parked over there. It's not for him to say, is it? The person who has been wronged has to be the one to forgive. So why was Jesus able to forgive sins? Well, it's because he was God. Because God is the one who's been sinned against. And Jesus is God. He's able to forgive sins. And that is the amazing thing that Simon just couldn't get his head round. He knew that God was holy. And he thought that Jesus was a prophet. And then, in his mind, holiness ought to result in separation. And of course, in his mind, he thought he was good enough for God. He didn't have to separate from him. And Jesus was holier than Simon ever thought he, would, he was. And yet, he was more merciful than Simon could ever imagine. He was more patient and more loving too. And Jesus was therefore willing to bear the sins of many. He was willing to die for them. And that goes for you here this morning. Do you hide your true self from others? Do you sometimes think to yourself, if they knew me as well as I knew me, they wouldn't want anything to do with me. If they knew the dark thoughts that I had, if they knew the hateful revenge plots that I play out in my head after I've had a, a nasty conversation with my colleague, if they knew my obsession with spending money I didn't have, if they knew the thoughts that I had about people that I weren't married to, if they knew all the horrible things that I wanted to do to the person who just cut me up, on the M4, all those things, 
they would want to do, have anything to do with me. But when we come to Jesus, he welcomes us with arms open wide. He says, I know all these things and more. I love you. I'm not going to bring it up when you don't expect. I'm not going to use them against you. They've been dealt with at the cross. They've been forgiven. I've taken the blame. I've taken the hit here. So be at peace. We're all in need of forgiveness. We all need to see how lost we are. But we're not without hope. We must see that there is a, a rescuer who is willing to cover the cost of the great debt that we owed. He went to extraordinary lengths for us. What will we, we not do for him? Will we continue to live for ourselves? Will we continue to see our money as our own, our time as our own, our energy as our own? Our comfort as everything. Will we see it as, as something to, to stockpile? Or will we, like this woman, give more than we could possibly imagine in order to say, thank you, Lord Jesus. We have not been saved because of what we have done and how amazing we are, but because of the amazing grace that we have been shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this truth. We thank you that this isn't a, a moral tale to teach us about uh, the amazing acts of a, of a fictional person, but these are, are true things that happened. And uh, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the, um, the, the truth of the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we thank you that those are things that are, are life-changing today. We pray for anyone who is sat here this morning who is feeling the burden of guilt and shame. We pray that they would bring those sins to the cross and that they might know forgiveness at the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can forgive us. We pray these things in his name. Amen.